0: You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks.
1: And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's August 4th.
0: Since the Cold War, U.S. defense strategy has been predicated on military forces that were superior in all domains to those of any adversary. But the nature of warfare has evolved, and that superiority is gone, largely because the United States and its allies no longer have a virtual monopoly on the technologies and capabilities that made them so dominant in the past. In a new report, Rand's David Achmanek and colleagues examine what can be done to address the shortcomings of U.S. and allied power and influence. The good news for the U.S. and its allies is that their forces do not require superiority to defeat aggression, even if that aggression comes from China or Russia. The authors recommend a new approach for large-scale military operations that they call Defense Without Dominance. This approach would focus on prioritizing key aspects of force modernization, including force posture changes and technology and weapons upgrades, as well as building solidarity with allies and partners. Specific recommendations include deploying new forces and support assets in the Western Pacific and in Europe, ensuring that inventories of preferred munitions and other consumables are sufficient to carry out continued strikes against enemy forces and incentivizing innovation. The report also emphasizes that the U.S. does not appear to currently have the capabilities it would need to execute this new defense-without-dominance approach. Thus, it needs to make major changes, and quickly. As the authors write, there is no time to lose.
1: One major consideration for U.S. and Allied defense planners is Taiwan. While the United States and Taiwan agree on the goal of protecting the island against a potential Chinese invasion, and even as they forge the most comprehensive security ties in decades, Washington is bristling over how much Taiwan's leaders are spending for defense and what they're spending their defense funds on. According to Rand's Michael Lestumbo, Taiwan's defense budget does not seem to reflect any urgency, and Taipei is not getting all it could from its investments. For instance, much of Taiwan's spending is devoted to what Lestumbo calls expensive trophies, such as fighter aircraft, which, in the face of a Chinese invasion, would quickly become irrelevant. Choices such as these matter a great deal to the U.S., Listumbo says, because they may create operational problems that could hamper U.S. support in the event of an attack by Beijing. Quote, every year, the United States is devoting more and more defense resources to preparing for an invasion across the Taiwan Strait. But the United States alone cannot secure Taiwan, he says. Fortunately, differences between the two security partners can be addressed. The U.S. could work with Taiwan to review its spending and discuss how its capabilities can complement American investments and support. Success will require a clear vision and sustained effort over years by Taiwan's leaders.
0: Since February 2022, more than 6 million Ukrainians have been recorded as refugees. All told, around 15% of Ukraine's estimated population before Russia's full-scale invasion began has left the country, mostly fleeing to Poland, Germany, and other European Union countries, where they will likely remain for a few years or more. Many of those displaced are highly skilled workers, and one-third of Ukrainian refugees in the EU are children. Recent RAND research on the refugee crisis in Syria has shown that truly supporting and integrating Ukrainian refugees into host countries, namely by educating and employing them, will help both refugees and the communities where they live. It could also help Ukraine in the long run. A first step is for EU host countries to identify Ukrainian children who are out of school and seek out educational records transfers from Ukraine. The European Union could also create language and catch-up programs for Ukrainian children, hire Ukrainian teachers to support them, place Ukrainian-speaking adults as assistant teachers in classrooms, and provide resources for teachers to learn trauma-informed instructional approaches. At the same time, host countries can improve labor market access for adult refugees through investment in language training, job matching, and other programs. By getting Ukrainians into jobs faster, it could boost European economies and offset the costs of long term support. Supporting Ukrainian refugees in these ways will help them enrich their host communities. And beyond that, refugees may eventually return home as entrepreneurs who can invest, transfer knowledge, and create jobs in Ukraine, potentially becoming a motor of the country's post war reconstruction.
1: In the United States, people with mental health concerns are disproportionately jailed at a staggering rate. In fact, the three largest mental health facilities in the U.S. are jails. The situation in Los Angeles is especially dire. 41% of the jail population has a diagnosed mental illness, is experiencing mental health symptoms, or is taking psychiatric medication. To address this, Los Angeles County's Board of Supervisors voted earlier this year to create a 16-bed acute mental health care unit in Twin Towers Correctional Facility in downtown LA, which will supplement an existing psychiatric inpatient unit. Rand Stephanie Brooks-Holiday points out that with so many people in jail while experiencing serious mental health problems, 16 additional beds is barely a drop in the bucket. There are better alternatives, she says. As of 2020, nearly half of the jail mental health population were detained pre trial. That is, they were not serving time in jail for committing a crime, but merely waiting for their day in court. This suggests that the elimination of cash bail could be one way to help reduce the number of people held in jail. And for those with less serious mental health symptoms, The elimination of cash bail could be particularly effective if they have a stable home or job to return to. Another potential solution is pre trial diversion. These programs are typically tailored at an individual level, but generally they require that people with a mental illness who are charged with a crime successfully complete a one to two year mental health treatment program. If they meet the program requirements, their charges will be dismissed. Programs such as these can make a big difference for people with acute mental health symptoms. Brooks Holiday emphasizes that she isn't arguing against adding more acute care beds in prisons. It is essential that people have access to the health care they need while incarcerated, she says, but efforts to build up community-based alternatives are essential too. Quote, the goal shouldn't just be to release people from jail, but to make sure they don't end up there in the first place.
0: That's it for today's episode. You can learn more about the topics we discussed in the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. We'll see you next week. Rand is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis.